thank you for your love. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. You give it to us. You will climb any mountain, light up any shadow, and you prove that because you went to the cross for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. Thank you, band. Before I get started, I want to do a little bit of business. A couple weeks ago, I spoke on growth groups, and I told you how uh, it modeled Jesus and how he lived his life. Big crowds, then he met with his squad, and many of you signed up. In fact, 70 people signed up for growth groups, which is a new record for us. And growth groups is something that gives us great depth and health as we sit in rooms and circles and talk about what's going on in our lives. And so if you have not signed up, I encourage you. It's not too late. You can still sign up uh, today at one of the booths. Um, also, if you did sign up and you weren't contacted, then let us know that as well. I, it's funny, I, I was going to give an advertisement for 8.30. We asked uh, 50 people to switch services. Remember last week? We had people that couldn't find a seat. We had people that were having trouble finding parking when they were late. And so we asked a bunch of people to switch to 8.30. And now 8.30 is upset because now they're all big. So we have unique problems. But here's the deal. If you're looking for a growth group that's to step into, you can switch to 8.30 and go to a growth group that happens right now. Right after the first service, there's a growth group to step into. Um, and you're not married to it. Great thing to try. Step into. All right? All right. And also, Cheryl Westfall is our growth group director, and I have never seen someone so capable. She placed all 70, and she has room for more, and so um, we have, God's building a great team of people here. Another announcement I got, I want to express my gratitude to those of you who are faithfully and uh, generously supporting the Orchard Vision. I mean, just the bare minimum, it keeps the lights on, the coffee hot, it keeps the staff paid by the charitable giving of people like you. But beyond that, we are truly supporting the vision of love God and love people. And we have plans in 2020 to take this to places that we have not yet been before, to see God do some amazing things in our communities and beyond. And so I just want to thank you for those of you who are stepping into that and and, and supporting us. And for those of you kind of on the bubble who are considering it, I just want to say I want to invite you into a lifestyle of blessing and saying, God, thank you. For all that you've given me, and I'm going to give back to you in my tithes and offerings. With that, we go into week two of At the Cross. You know, week one, we talked about why the cross. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go to the Orchard website, the Orchard app, or even iTunes, and and really uh, listen to that and see why we had to have the cross. I also put a supplemental teaching up. I reposted one called The Blood Path that gives some biblical and historical context for the cross. And, and as always, throughout this entire series, if you find that you have questions as we go through this about anything I say, my email is going to be up here. It's also in your bulletin. Please email me. I've been having some great conversations online with some people who had questions from last week's sermon. All right, to start us off, I want to tell you about an extraordinary woman. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. You may have heard from her. She was born in the late 1800s. Her father was a, a Dutch watchmaker, and so she started learning to make watches, and she was the first woman to ever be licensed as a watchmaker. In a family with a deep faith in Jesus, she was consistently gathering uh, to her groups of young women and teaching them what it me- meant to have faith, but also teaching them a livelihood. She was always pouring into other people. When World War II hit, Corey and her father and her sister Betsy saw the horrendous acts of the Nazis And they began to hide Jewish children and their families at great risk to themselves. And there are some amazing stories from Corey's life of people that got saved. Literally, their lives were saved because of their their courage. And grandchildren alive today because of Corey Ten Boom and her family. And then at 1230, on February 28, 1944, 
A Dutch informant told the Nazis about the Tim Booms work and they were swiftly arrested and shipped off to a concentration camp. But even that could not dampen their faith. With a smuggled Bible, Corey and her sister Betsy held Bible studies after the lights would go out. They would hold Bible studies telling people about Jesus. And in fact, from her own words, I've heard her tell the story about how there would be During the day, there would be a barbed wire, razor wire fence, and behind it would be a bunch of children who were going to be sent to the gas chamber within the hour. And she would walk out there, and through the razor wire fence, she would tell them, listen, you might not have much of your life left here on earth, but take hope. Jesus has overcome death, and through faith in him, you can awaken in heaven. And she said her greatest life work was there in the concentration camp. She was finding purpose. She goes, God put me here for this, which just floors me. Our little sister, Betsy, was not doing too well. She was being broken and wasting away from the cruelty and the brutality of of the guards. And it was obvious that Betsy was not going to live much longer. And, And Betsy, this was her last words to her sister, Corey. Listen to this. Sister, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. That no matter how horrifying the circumstances, no matter how dark the valley, God is always at work, still at work. And that's good news for some of us here today. That God is always at work. Well, through a clerical clerical error, Corey was released, and the first thing she did was to set up a rehabilitation center for anybody who survived the concentration camps. I mean, after the war, she'd lost everything. Her family, her livelihood, her innocence, But she never lost her faith in Jesus. Truly, she was an amazing woman. One day, the story goes, she was approached by a man. In his German accent, he said, do you remember me? And she looked up into his face and was appalled when she realized that this was the cruelest of the guards at Ravensbrück who was responsible for her sister's death. Looking into the eyes of her nightmare, She was in shock, probably in flashback, and the guard went on to tell her, I have found Jesus. I found Jesus, and I'm so sorry. And he's forgiven me. But Miss Temboom, I have a question. Would you forgive me? Let's listen to her reply from her own mouth. Once I'm forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart 
God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. What I love about that story, Corey, can you forgive? Is that it shows the power of grace. The audacity of grace. It reveals that things like hate and revenge and bitterness do not have to win because grace can overcome. Grace wins. Grace is undefeated. Grace pays the debts that people find unpayable. And grace is victorious when redemption and hope seem lost to us. Grace wins. By the end of the sermon today, I want you to come face to face with two things. It's my hope for today, two things. One, that you look again to the cross of Jesus and see with new eyes the grace that happened because of his sacrifice. The second thing is that you look at our own life and we see where we need to give grace to other people. See, Jesus told a parable about grace. It's found in Matthew 18. You can turn or scroll there or you can follow along on the screens up here. He says this, The kingdom of heaven, my kingdom, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he, as he began to, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now the original word here for bags is, is talents. And one talent, it's a measurement of gold. One talent of gold is worth 20 years of labor for a servant. One talent is worth 20 years labor. And this servant owed 10,000 talents, which Siri told me yesterday is 200,000 years of salary. That's a lot of debt. That's a lot of lifetimes. The king finds a servant who owes him 200,000 years of debt. This man has a debt he can never repay. No matter how hard he works in this lifetime, only death will release him. The debt is unmanageable, unresolvable, unpayable. And so what does the king do with a servant like this? Well, Jesus goes on. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell to his knees and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You see, the king didn't give him more time to pay it off. The king didn't say, well, give me what you have. The king didn't take what he rightfully could have. He instead, shockingly, forgives this servant of everything, every part of the debt, the impossible debt the man could never repay, the king absolves. When Jesus, was, when Jesus was telling this parable, he says at the beginning, this is how my kingdom operates. This is how me and my father operate. There's grace in this. He's, he's telling us something, that there is a debt of sin that cannot be paid by us in this lifetime. It's just too big. But there's grace that forgives the impossible debt. And that the servant who was forgiven his debt, can you imagine how elated he is when he leaves? I mean, could you imagine having 200,000 years of debt and you in one day it's gone? Just the freedom you would feel. 
just the, the lack of burden as you walk out of there, the gratitude, the shock, the awe, all these things. I, I mean, it's one of the greatest gifts he's ever gotten. Grace is the greatest gift, and with grace comes freedom. You see, this is what Jesus does for us on the cross. Jesus, he forgives us a debt that is unpayable. And if I were that servant, and I, I am in my own life, I would be overjoyed and overcome by gratitude for what he did for me. Jesus did for me what I can never do for myself. In fact, every, every person who claims to know Jesus, every Christian who claims grace, Corey Tim Boom, myself and many of you, we have been forgiven by grace on the cross. And our lives should be marked by gratitude for what we've been shown. Unfortunately, this isn't how most people operate. Unfortunately, this isn't how the followers of Jesus has, have always operated in the past. Unfortunately, the church has a reputation, and it's not that we receive grace and we go and give it. Is it? I wish the parable stopped there and was happy, but the parable goes on. The forgiven servant left the king's presence and found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred silver coins. Much smaller, much more manageable. He grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. The poor servant fell to his knees and begged with the same words the servant had previously. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused and instead he had the man arrested and thrown in jail until the debt was paid. The servant who received grace on an impossible debt left that room and found someone who owed him a smaller, much smaller debt. Vastly smaller amount. And what did he do? He demanded payment. He demanded accountability for the debt the man had. The forgiven servant refused to forgive. The one given grace refused to pass on grace. And we learn some things here from this parable. Those of us in here who claim to follow Jesus, you claim Christianity is yours, we need to take a very clear look at this parable. You need to inspect our lives this morning because of the cross, we have received a grace that pays all of our debts, all of our sin, paid, nailed to the cross. And yet many of us leave the cross and go through life holding the sins of other people against us, against them. We've received grace, but we pass on judgment. Bottom line, the question is, you claim to follow Jesus, who do you need to give grace to today? It's a serious question. I've had people in my life that when I see them, I just get that, oh, feeling. You ever had somebody, when you even just see them standing there, you just get angry at them? Just, how could they stand like that? The nerve of that person, just standing there, taking up oxygen. And I had to reconcile the fact that I have been given amazing grace. All my debt of sin has been paid, and yet I'm out demanding in my bitterness, not, letting, not giving them grace. Remember, bitterness is a pill, a poison pill that I swallow that I hope poisons the other person. It only hurts me. We have been given amazing grace. Do you pass it on? Are you a grace giver? And one of the most important questions to wrestle with today, 
Who is it you need to give grace to? Some of you here today, on the other side of the coin, you don't know about this whole church thing. You don't know about Jesus. You especially don't know about Christians. You've been wounded by religion, haven't you? You or somebody close to you has been wounded by people claiming to follow Jesus. That's personal. But I want you to see something in this parable that's important for you to see. You see, the servant of the king acted terrible. The servant acted terrible. He was judgmental. He refused to give grace. He was cruel. But never confuse the servant with the king. The king has the character of grace and love. The king is good even when his so-called people are not. The king has an offer of grace even when his so-called people offer judgment. And so never confuse the loving God who gives grace with the imperfect people trying to follow him who gave you judgment. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But we see in this parable a difference. There is a king who gives love and grace. But there are people who claim to follow him who do not. And on behalf of the church and religious people of Christianity, I apologize to you. And I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry you were wounded by people who said that they were under grace, but did not give you any of it. I want you to know that what you experienced isn't God. That God has love and grace for you. And perhaps today, you can see that and you can extend some grace to those who have hurt you in the past. You know, something happened this past week that has had me thinking about grace a lot. My six-year-old son, Elijah, was in our garage, and he likes to climb up on our Subaru car and play around up there. And he climbed up the windshield, and there must have been a chip in the windshield. Because when he put his weight on the windshield, it cracked. I don't just mean it, like, kind of cracked. I mean it spiderwebbed the entire windshield. And my six-year-old son just in shock, could not believe what he had just done. His jaw dropped, his little lips quivered. He, he couldn't believe it. And after, after we let him know, it's okay. He still would not let it go. My son, is, his personality is all fairness and justice. And so he's like, Daddy, I have to pay. You can have all my monies. And he, you can have my $3 and all of my cents. Poor guy. For a week, every time he got in the car, he would clip in. And when he looked out the windshield at where we were going, all he would see is the evidence of his mistakes. All he would see is the evidence of what he had done. Now, it wasn't sin, but for him, it was the biggest mistake he'd ever made. It was in his six years, he could not believe he broke the windshield. It was a cobweb of cracks, and, and he couldn't move forward in the car without looking out that windshield. It changed everything he perceived moving forward. It changed everything, all of his perspective as he looked ahead. All he could see, he saw life through his mistake. And it crushed him. You could see his face. You could tell when he saw it, it, it crushed him. For my son, this is the biggest mess up he's ever been responsible for. And he felt it. And, he, and you get this. Listen, we've all done something or said something or, or made a decision that cracked the windshield of our lives. The windshield of your character shattered by the ongoing decisions that you're making privately. 
The windshield of, of your marriage or relationship shattered by your decisions or even the decisions of somebody else. Your private life devastated by the vices and addictions we carry, us, carry with us. Your friendships shattered by your gossip or your insecurity in action. Or perhaps our anger is breaking and shattering the tender hearts of those we love the most. We all have shattered windshields in our life. And what do we do? We move forward with it there right in front of us. We experience life through the shattered windshields of our sin and brokenness. It begins, we, we perceive life differently. Our perspective is different. And you kind of get used to it. You get used to it over the years, don't you? You ever had a, a crack in your windshield, just a crack? And at first when that rock hit it from that truck, you were like, oh, oh. And a month later, do you even see it? You know, given enough time, Elijah would have looked through that cobweb windshield. I know that because in our lives, we have shattered our character, or shattered relationships. We've all had these, these times, and we get used to the perspective. We get used to going through life looking through our brokenness. And the question is, what do we do about it? I mean, what can we do about this, right? A week after Elijah broke the windshield, we had an appointment to get it fixed. And so I knew that that Thursday it was fixed, and I went to pick him up in my truck. Got him from school, and we talked a little bit, had some laughs. And I turned the, turned the uh, rearview mirror down so I could see him. I said, buddy, tell me about the windshield. His little face fell. I mean, how would you like it if someone walked up and said, hey, buddy, tell me about the affair. Hey, buddy, tell me about your worst sin ever. Tell me about the, the thing you're most ashamed of, your biggest mistake. He was like, oh. Oh, Daddy, I don't like it. What should we do, Elijah? Daddy, I have to pay for it. All my money's for the windshield. I said, bud, that's not near enough. I said, your $3 and your cents won't cover a windshield. I mean, there's no way a six-year-old's going to pay for this windshield. It's an impossible debt. And I watched him there in the back as he looked out the windows, just stuck. Oh, I, I, what do I do? And I said, Elijah, I want you to know something. When we get home, the windshield is going to be perfect. I said, the windshield is going to look like it never even happened. And his eyes went up. Daddy, I have to pay for it. I have to pay for it. It's paid for, Elijah. You can't pay for it. It's paid for. Your mommy and I love you, and we have paid for this. Daddy, I have to pay. He would not let go of it. And I said, Elijah, there's no payment left to give. The windshield's perfect. It's not even broken. It's fixed. It's like you never did it. Mommy and Daddy love you, and we paid for it. It's done. It's all paid for. Sat there for 30 seconds in silence, taking it in. And he said this. He said, Daddy, what do I do with my money? I said, Elijah, when you are given grace, you pass it on. You take what you are going to try to do to work it out, 
man, you just passed that grace on to somebody else. And he thought about that. And his eyes lit up and he said, my friend doesn't have any Hot Wheels. I'm going to buy him Hot Wheels with my $3 and my cents. And I said, Elijah, that's it. People who receive grace should pass it on. Romans 1.5 echoes this. It says, through Jesus, we've received grace and the urgent task of passing it on to others. You see, we're not just grace bearers, grace recipients. We're called to be grace givers. Above all people in the world, those who know the cross of Jesus have no excuse not to be a grace giver. Because we know grace, don't we? We know amazing grace. We don't just receive it, we give it. And Elijah learned a lesson that day. I didn't want him to learn about penance or guilt or fairness. He knows about fairness. I wanted him to learn about grace and what it means to pass it on. What does the world need more? Does our world need more religious people passing on judgment? I think, I think they've had enough. I th- can we just call it quits on that? I think what they need is the grace of God. The fundamental foundation that is our vision, love God, love people, because of what he's done. You see, grace pays the debt fully. And the people of grace, well, we pass that grace right on. Grace is a gift. Gifts are awesome. And the gr- gifts does not have a price tag. Jesus did all the work on the cross, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace that you have been saved. You have salvation by grace alone. Not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not of your work, it's not your monies, it's not your three dollars. You didn't earn it, it's a gift. In fact, you can't earn it, and you can't pay for it. You get the greatest gift in the universe. Not because of your good works, not because of your your monies, but because of the gift of God. You see, we all have a cracked windshield in life. We all have a debt of sin we cannot pay. And some of us have a sense of justice. I get this. I did it, I'll pay for it. I'll handle it. But in those moments, we sound just like Elijah in the back seat. Wanting to give our little bit. When Jesus said, there's there's nothing left to give. You can't do anything because I've done it all. It's as if it was never broken. It's as if it never happened. And your Heavenly Father loves you so much, He covered it. Grace went to the cross. Grace went to the cross because the grace loves you, not because you earned it. Romans 5 puts it this way. When we were still powerless, Christ died for us. God showed us his own love for us in this. While we were were still dead in our sins, Jesus died for us. It's not like we earned our way some way or brought him $3 and he goes, well, you have $3, that's good enough. I'll go ahead and pay for the rest. No, we had nothing to give. And he goes, I'm going to cover it. I'm going to cover all your sin, your past, your present, and your future. Because I love you. Because of the work of Jesus, you don't have to work to to find forgiveness for your sin. The cross is a beacon of grace. And it calls us to it. It calls people to the cross for grace. All you who need forgiveness, come to the cross of Jesus. Because all the work has been done. All the price has been paid. Grace meets us where we are and takes us where we could never go on our own. In grace, God does something powerful in our lives. He empowers us to live a life of purpose. 
He takes your past and gives you forgiveness. He takes your present and gives you peace. And he gives you hope in your future. And not just hope for someday clouds, hope for tomorrow. Hope for the next moment. The grace of God died on the cross for us so that our debt of sin could be forgiven. And we could have a divine calling to go throughout the world and love God and love people and be grace givers. It's a daunting task. It's a privilege to be a grace giver. And this next video is a picture of our Heavenly Father's grace. I want you to watch this next video with the, with the eyes of grace and what we've been talking about. This is the story of Rick and Dick Hoyt, father and son. Rick was born with the umbilical cord around his neck, and it caused him severe physical trauma. They didn't know what his mind would be like when he was a kid, and the doctor said, put him in a home and forget about him. But the father would not do that. He raised his son, and they got him a computer he could somehow talk through. And when Rick was 15, he asked his, his father through this computer, he said, can we run a race together? One of my classmates is paralyzed, and they're raising money for a 5K. Now, Dick laughs about this because he was 36, and he is not a runner. Never been a runner. But he loaded his son up on the, a rickety old wheelchair that they had, and he <laughs> somehow made it through the 5K. <laughs> and that night he goes home and just collapses on the couch, just exhausted, Couch to 5K, pushing his son. And as he's sitting there, his dad reminds, he remembers these words. His son comes up and through the computer says, Daddy, when I'm running, I don't feel handicapped. And I love this. When I'm running. The father was empowering the son to go places he can never go. Rick, or, or Dick, the father, was doing all the work while Rick, the son, was experiencing all the thrill. The father was empowering his child to do what he could never do for himself. And needless to say, Dick said he decided right there and then he would do a lot more running. And so while Rick would go off to school, Dick would get a big 50-pound bag of cement, put it in the wheelchair, and go out running with an empty wheelchair with just a cement in there. Just to get his legs and lungs ready. And when his son would come home, he would swap out the cement and put in his son so his son could feel alive. They continued to run. They ran a lot. In this video you're about to watch, this is grace in action. This is the symbol of God's cross. As it does for us, we can never do for ourselves. Jesus did all the work so we could experience all the thrill. Jesus gave his life so we could experience life. Jesus gave us grace to pay for our debts and our sins. And this video follows Dick and Rick as they compete in the Ironman Triathlon. Dick swims 2.4 miles with his son behind him in tow. They switch to a bike where... Dick pedals 112 miles with his son strapped to the front, almost like a sail catching the wind. No, and he, it was said he just pushes them back, but he keeps going. And after that, finally, they run 26.22 miles, all so his child can feel alive. And as you watch, don't just watch the mechanics of it. 
Look at the face of the Father who did all the work. And then look at the face of the Son. Because of the work of the Father, look at the face of the Son. This is the, this is the cross of Jesus in action. And at the very end, I want you to catch the end. The end is a picture of your life. You see, as you cross the finish line celebrating, behind you will be Jesus, who did all the work to take you there. Let's watch. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the ocean you can only come this far? Thank you.
grace in action. Takes our broken lives that we could never take ourselves. Titus 2, 11 says this, For the grace of God appeared, that's Jesus, on the cross, that offers salvation. You see, grace went to the cross, and the cross has an offer for you. The cross offers salvation. Salvation in the, in the form of paying of your sins and debts, all your sins forgiven, all your shame, all your guilt nailed to the cross with him. Paid in full. That helps us run a race we could never run on our own. To take us through life in a way we could never go on our own. To take us places we could never go. To work in us on things we could never do. And because of this gift of grace on the cross, those who receive it will cross the finish line. Empowered by Jesus. They're welcomed into eternity. As we close this today, there's two groups of people I want to talk to. The first one of those is those of us who we would say, well, you know what? I, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I may look more like that unforgiving servant than I care to admit. But I forgot about grace. I forgot what you did for me. Thank you for grace. If that's you this morning, I want you to join me in a prayer of just re recommitment to Jesus and thanksgiving to him for what he's done. For some of us, the fire of our faith has just gone cold, hasn't it? Let's pray to, that, that God's grace would revive us. So put your hands out in front of me and pray out loud if you would. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. Paid in full. All my sin. The windshield is clear. Thank you. Restore the fire to my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some of us in here today, the second group, who maybe perhaps you've never made this decision to trust Jesus as your Savior. You, you've never come to that moment where you've said, in faith, I'm going to make this decision to believe in you, Jesus. If you would like to pray today with me to receive this salvation, now's your chance. Now's your chance. We're going to pray that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And in that grace, your sin's forgiven. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He died and rose again. You are saved. And so pray with me. Let's all put our hands out. And if you want to pray this for the first time with all your heart, pray with me. Jesus, I need you. I give you my heart. I know you died and rose again for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for paying my debt. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we go into communion, remember this is an open table, no class. You can do this in remembrance of Jesus. Everybody can. But as you come into communion, this is the symbol of the cost of grace the blood and the broken body of Jesus so that we could have grace. And as you hold it, before you take it, just thank him for his amazing grace. And then tell him you want to be a grace giver. And in that moment, ask him who it is you need to give grace to. Who is it I need to give grace to? And some of you know. Begin praying for that person that his grace would work through you. 
If you're here today and you have a prayer request of any sort, or if you want to talk about this salvation stuff, I want you to meet us in the back corner over here. We don't want to pray for you and talk to you about this. If you have questions about salvation, maybe you did pray today, maybe you wanted to, or maybe you didn't for whatever reason, email me. But let's do business with God right now, okay? Let's worship.